What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. If you've been enjoying the show and you want an easy way to support me, you should leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Probably the easiest way to do that if you're on a Mac is just visit ndhackers.com slash review, and that will open up Apple Podcasts on your computer. I really appreciate it. It's the best way for other people to find the show, so I read all the reviews that you guys leave over there. In today's episode, I sat down with poker pro Jonathan Little. He has won millions of dollars as a professional poker player, and now he's making millions of dollars a year with his online business teaching others how to get better at the game as well. What's really cool about Jonathan is that even though he doesn't come from a tech background, he's been able to figure out a lot of the indie hacker challenges on his own. He's got a web-based subscription business up and running. He is on every channel. He's crushing it with distribution. He's figured out his pricing. And I think even if you're not as much of a poker fan as I am, there's a lot to learn here from Jonathan's work ethic, his consistency, and about how you can go on to build your own sustainable business, doing what you love that supports your lifestyle. Enjoy the episode. Jonathan Little, welcome to the ND Hackers podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here today. Well, you've built a poker media empire. You've got online classes, a website, YouTube. You know, how would you describe what you do and what are all the parts to it? There's a lot of parts to it. So it all started a long time ago, about 15 years ago. I just was playing a lot of poker and posting on poker forums. And I learned a lot from other people who discussed poker strategy on these forums. And eventually I became a good, well-respected player on there. So I started giving other people advice. And then me and a few of my friends decided, why don't we make a poker training site? We weren't necessarily trying to make money from it or anything, but we wanted to give back to the community and maybe build something. Well, that's how it started. So we have a poker training site that has been through many iterations. Now it's called pokercoaching.com. I also write books. I have all these books back here. I'm in charge of all those. I um, work with a publishing company, DNB Poker. I'm in charge of sourcing some of the material that they have, and I do a lot of the editing. So we do that. We have a YouTube channel. I have about 50,000 followers on there. After this, we'll have 100,000, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. And I make a lot of content. I have video blogs. The training site has quizzes, interactive webinars. I do a morning show called A Little Coffee, where Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I sit down for about an hour and talk about whatever's on my mind. Usually it's somehow related to poker. And I, I try to put out lots of content. I want to be everywhere so people can find me and then inevitably I can help them and then maybe they'll pay me some money. Yeah, it's pretty insane how much content you put out. I mean, I talk to a lot of people who you know put out content for a living and most of them aren't anywhere near that prolific. I'm a member of your pokercoaching.com website. I'm getting emails from you constantly. You're always popping up on YouTube. You've got like several podcasts, all those books you've written. How much time and effort does that take? You know, Are you doing nothing but putting out content all day, every day? It does take a lot of effort. And I think what I do that a lot of other people don't do is I actually sit down and work. I think a lot of content creators kind of hang out where they spend a lot of time on things that are not necessarily beneficial when it comes to actually putting out a product. Like, for example, writing a book. I have a book called Excelling at No Limit Hold'em that I wrote with roughly 15 other poker players. Basically, I was in charge. I assigned them topics or we came up with topics to write about themselves. And each author slash poker player was going to write about 20 pages on their chosen topic. thought it'd be easy. I thought I'd be able to give them the assignment, get it back in a month, and the book would be done in like a month. That was me the easiest thing I've ever did. That ended up taking about a year and a half. 
Some of the people involved were also authors. Their work got back to me in a month. They said they were going to do it in a month. They got it back to me in a month. No problem. Some of the poker players, though, were huge procrastinators or huge perfectionists. Oh, yeah. And I would have to like go to their house and help them, and, <laughs> which is fine. I get it. And a lot of people really wanted everything to be 100% perfect. And to be fair, when you're writing a book, you can't go back and change it. And it's kind of memorialized there. And people will read that indefinitely. So I get the idea that you want it to be perfect. But at the same time, at some point, you just have to ship the product and get it out there to the world. And I've always been pretty quick to push stuff out. I'm not such a perfectionist, I don't think. I try to do things well the first time. And that results in not having to do too many takes. That said, I am trying to slow down a bit. I'm in the process of making this gigantic tournament course. People have asked me to make this for forever. Currently something like 40 hours long. So it's a, it's a lot. And I actually hired someone to teach me how to teach better. And that's making my process go substantially slower. I would have had this thing done in, well, uh, I don't know, 50 hours or so. If it takes 40 hours to record, I'll be done in 50 hours. But now it's taking substantially longer. And I think that's probably good. I think when you're putting out sort of like a pillar pieces of content that everyone's going to get directed to, you want them to be as good as they possibly can. So if anything, I have to slow myself down a little bit, but that's okay. I don't mind. Yeah, we were talking earlier about this balance between being a perfectionist and quantity. And I always err on the side of perfectionism. And I think it's a flaw. I need to be more prolific. I need to just put things out there instead of sweating it so much because sometimes that lasts like 5 or 10%. No one notices, no one cares about. And it's better just to get a ton of stuff out and reach people everywhere they are. I was going to say like editing audio, for example, for this. You can sit here and edit this thing for forever or you can just push it out. Exactly. As long as you know it's, it's fine, there's nothing horribly wrong with it. It's going to be good enough. We both have decent microphones. We both sound fine. So it's good enough. Don't worry about it. Also, I was going to say something I do very different than a lot of people is I work. I sit in my office right here from about uh, 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. Monday to Friday every day. That's when my wife is working and I sit in here like I have a real job and I work all day. I'm not watching TV or goofing off or anything like that. I'm working. And I think what happens to a lot of people, especially content creators, is they sort of have freedom to do whatever they want or they're doing it as a like a hobby to some extent. They're not doing it as a career. And I recognize I'm doing this as a career and that requires me to treat it like a career. Yeah, I think when a lot of people become founders or become indie hackers, it's a tough transition for them. I mean, you've been a professional poker player. All of that's self-discipline. There's nobody who's like, you need to come in at 9 a.m. every day and learn poker, Jonathan. You've got to be self-motivated. But a lot of people who come from you know, more of a traditional career are used to having a boss or colleagues who expect them to stick to a particular schedule. And suddenly when they're out on their own and they're at home, it's really hard to stay focused. It's really hard to stay on track without that external motivation. What do you think your motivation comes from, Jonathan? I really do not have a good answer to that. I'm a pretty good grinder. So whenever I was a young person playing poker, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, I would literally sit in my room for about 16 hours a day, either playing poker or studying poker. It was 10 or so hours of playing and six hours of reviewing those hands and studying and trying to get better. And I did that every day for three years consistently. And I didn't have any problem with that. I had no social life. I had um, no real friends besides my internet poker friends. And um, I had a pile of money. <laughs> so I would recognize I was trading these things for something else. And like now writing a book or making a new class, if I want to be doing it, I can just sit down and do it no problem. And I like having a lot of things to do because that allows me to sort of pick the thing that I really want to do at that moment. I'm always motivated to do it because perhaps I haven't done it in a little while or it's somewhat pressing and I need to get it done immediately. Also, my life is kind of compartmentalized to some extent because I still travel and play poker a decent amount. So I would typically play poker somewhere on the live tournament poker circuit. There's a, like a big tournament somewhere all the time, but usually there's one big tournament per month. 
And I would, I, I will usually spend about a week per month going to do that. And during that time, I'm usually recording a video blog, but that is it pertaining to work. I have a team that helps me with support emails and whatnot, and I pre-record everything I can ahead of time, or I pre-write articles such that I do not have to do anything besides play poker when I'm going out to play poker. So that's almost like a vacation to some extent, or just like a get away from the nine to five grind, if you want to call it that. And that allows me to come back refreshed. And then after a week of playing poker, I'm usually ready to be done with that. So I go home and get back on the work grind. And after three weeks of the work grind, I'm ready to go play some poker. So it works out pretty well. There's some hidden wisdom there behind the fact that you don't really need any tricks or hacks to do what you do. You just naturally like grinding at certain things. Well, I like doing what I'm doing, right? I think a lot of people, especially people in the startup world, start a business because they want to make money or because they perhaps even see a hole in the market that's very obvious to them, but they don't really care about it. And I mean, I think if you care about something, you're going to be way more motivated to do it than if you don't care so much about it. Totally. Fortunately, I like playing games. I like poker and I like helping people get better at poker. So it just like I wake up and I want to get to work. It's never I, I don't think I've had a day in a very long time where I wake up and I'm like, oh, I have to go to work today. Normally, I'm thrilled. I, I want to do it. And that, that makes it easy. It's a trap a lot of people fall into where they're like, you know, I don't see how everyone else is working so hard. I'm really grinding. I'm really pushing myself. I don't like this, but like, I'm going to get that gold at the end of the rainbow. And they don't realize like, you know, a lot of people are just doing things they like where they naturally have a lot of energy and they wake up every day and it's not a grind. And almost everybody has something that's not a grind for them that they'll do all day obsessively if they're allowed to and they can make money doing it. And if you could find a way to start a business in that area, find a way to make money and like create a life for yourself in that area, it's probably where you have the biggest advantages rather than, you know, doing what you were saying, finding a gap in the market and, you know, ending up selling like wedding cars or something where you really don't care about weddings. For sure. And I always liked playing games. I mean, a good example of this is I would, I played chess as a kid. I played Magic the Gathering as a kid and I played poker once I turned 17, 18 years old. And I pushed those other games aside to some extent because I realized this is, poker is a game where you can actually make substantial money. So I have other things that I enjoy doing, perhaps more than specifically playing poker, but poker is good enough. And you can also make a living from it. So maybe you don't get to do the exact specific thing you would like to do. Like I could sit and play Magic the Gathering all day, but you're not going to make any money from it. So you have to be realistic with the things that you decide to devote your time to, because some things are, they're hobbies, they're fun, right? They can be fun, but at the same time, they're not actually going to give you the opportunity to make substantial income if you care about that. And, you know, I knew I wanted to start a family one day and have some money. So I had to play a game that gave me that opportunity that did not require any athletics because I'm not a particularly athletic person. And so uh, poker was really the only option. So that's kind of why we played this game. So I would definitely tell you to find things that you like and do them and get good at them. But at the same time, make sure they actually have a future. So let's talk about your your poker history, because I think it's kind of a, a cliche, uh, at least in the tech industry, that you know, the, the founder drops out of college to pursue their passion and start a startup. And I've talked to half a dozen people on this podcast who've done that thing. But you actually dropped out of college to, to play poker, not to start a startup. What was it like to make that decision? Well, it was easy. <laughs> so I was going to school to get an engineering degree. I had, a, I had an academic scholarship, so like it was free to go to college. But I was also working a job at an airport and a job at a comic book store at the same time. And at this point, I was started to make decent money from playing poker. So it, I got to where I was making, I don't know, 200, $200 or $300 per hour playing poker online when I was 18 years old. And I was working a $10 an hour job at the airport. And I would purposefully work the graveyard shifts because I would go in, I would do the routine work. And then not a whole lot of planes would come in. 
that you'd have to service, like, you know, give them gas or whatever they need. Not a lot of planes came in late at night. So I would usually have like four or so hours where not a whole lot was going on. And then I would download party poker on the computer and play poker during those four hours. And I was really good at one particular form of poker. That's a nine person tournament and you can't really leave until the tournament's over. And every once in a while, like once a month, a helicopter would fly in late at night. They would require you to give them gas. And this is sort of like an ambulance helicopter. So you really want to go service the ambulance helicopter because they're going to go try to save someone. Two days in a row, I was playing four $200 buy-in tournaments and the helicopter came in and I had to basically give away that $800 and go fuel the helicopter. Oh man. So that happened twice in a row. I'm like, okay, this is enough of this. I can't be working this $10 an hour job and you know, grinding high stakes poker at the same time. So that's when I quit that. And then when I quit college, I went in for some class and they gave us a pop quiz and I got a zero. <laughs> so I got up and I left. And a lot of poker players have an issue telling their parents that they are going to drop out of college to pursue poker. And I'm sure the same thing with startups, right? And I was very fortunate in that I was a like, definitively clear winner in the games I was playing. And I had very good records. I had this notebook back then. They don't, now there are programs to keep track of this. But I had like a ledger that basically said how much I won or lost every day. And I had something like, I don't know, a year or a year and a half worth of data that showed basically every month I was making twenty or $30,000, kind of like clockwork. And Crazy. Yeah, it, it was the prime time to play poker. And if you see a lot of people in the poker world who are the best poker players in the world, they're roughly my age, somewhere between like 32 and 38 years old. And most of them started in college or perhaps in high school. And that is when the game was amazingly popular and that had a big influx of bad players and we cleaned out the bad players. And we also had a lot of time to devote to it, right? This is why a lot of the older people did not quite get into it because they were busy working a job or you know, like living their life, whereas a kid in college can kind of do whatever they want, right? And then people younger than me, they were in high school all day. They didn't have time to go play poker. So I was sort of in the right place at the right time. Kind of like if you look at a lot, a lot of tech founders, right? They grew up where a computer was located. Back in the day, there weren't very many computers. And if you grew up near the computer, you were way more likely to become someone in tech. So it was in the right place at the right time to some extent. I, I totally forgot your question of where we're going, but that's that. I mean, that's the luck component, I think, of success, right? Where right place, right time. You can't really control where or when you're born. But whenever you see somebody who has this outsized success story, there's always some component that's luck. And a lot of time, it's just timing. So you mentioned, you know, in the startup world, you have Bill Gates and Steve Jobs who had access to computers at a time where very few other people did. And a lot of people in their sort of age cohort built these massively successful and influential tech businesses. Poker, same thing. You were kind of in the right place at the right time. And you ended up becoming a professional poker player. I think you've now cashed something like $7 million in tournament winnings. And now you're teaching. How does your tournament winnings as a professional poker player compare to the money that you've won you know, with your media empire and teaching others how to play poker. Is it winning it if you get it through a media empire? I'm not sure. <laughs> the money that you've made. Well, now I definitely rely more on the business because that is what I'm devoting my time to. Turns out there's a lot of variance in mm -hmm. poker, kind of like in startups. If you're investing in startups, I've invested in something like 100 startups at this point, and lots of them go broke. Even if they are doing their absolute best, they're smart people doing good work. Right. It's hard to make a successful business, right? And poker tournaments are kind of like that, where... 80-ish percent of the time you're going to lose, even if you go in there and you play great. So you have to have a very strong mindset where you fly across the world and put down a bunch of money and realize I'm going to lose this 80% of the time. I understand this is going to happen and I'm not going to be unhappy if it does happen. 
a little bit different than the startup world, though, because you get to devote, you know, two or three days to your tournament, whereas if you're starting a startup, you get to devote two or three years to it or more <laughs> before you figure out if it's going to work out or not. So that's, uh, I guess, fortunate for me. But you realize that there is going to be a lot of variance in poker. And to be fair, the last few years, I have not done particularly great in poker. And I think it has to do with just running well at the wrong time. So far, I think since I've been really focusing on the business where I'm only traveling like one week a month, I think I've won about one tournament per year, which is actually pretty good. If you play 50 tournaments in a year, but have 500 people, you're supposed to win one in 500, but I've won roughly one in 50, which is good. The problem is that they are usually the smaller buy-in games. So whenever you're playing poker tournaments, you can buy in for all sorts of amounts. I usually buy in for between $1,000 or and $25,000. So if you win the $1,000 tournaments, but lose the $25,000 tournaments, it's not going to work out so well for you. So that's been happening to me the last few years. I've had a bunch of almost deep runs in the big ones, but not quite enough. The way poker tournaments are structured, by the way, is the winner of the tournament will get something like, let's say for simplicity, 25% of the money that was bought in. So if 100 people put in $10,000 each, there's, what, a million in the prize pool, which means the winner will get about 250000 give or take. And then second place will get maybe 150, third will get maybe 100, fourth will get 75. But then ninth will get something like, I don't know, let's say 60. So if you get ninth, you get 60,000. If you win, you get 250,000 or 300,000 or something like that. So there's a big spread in the difference between first and ninth. But really, the person in ninth place probably lost one or two more hands than the person in first place, right? And if you just happen to get a bunch of ninth place in a row, you're going to have a bad run. Like you're just not going to win any money. But if you, you know, win instead, you're just going to have all the money. So there was one year, goodness, a long time ago, where I just like won every hand towards the end of the tournament and I won player of the year. That's what that big glass trophy is back there. And I, I ran hot. And every year someone runs hot, kind of like in startups. Every year someone breaks out. And I'm not going to say it's random who it happens to, because if you look at the people who are the player of the year every year, usually they are a very, very good player. But there's also a whole lot of other very good players who have bad years and it happens. And you have to know what you sign up for. So anyway, business is very consistent, or at least more consistent than poker. So I found that it's nice to have steady income. How lucrative is it to run an online teaching business where you got, you know, hundreds, thousands of students paying you like I am, a monthly fee to, to learn poker? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so a long time ago, when I started the site, we were losing roughly $5,000 a month, just paying coaches to make content. We were making the content ourselves as well. And that kind of persisted until maybe eight or nine years ago, something like that. So I had this six or seven or eight year period. Where I was just losing 5,000 a month. And I didn't really view it as losing. I viewed it as helping out all the other poker players. I was making plenty of money. I didn't care. And I was just doing it almost as a community service because I wanted to help out other people who wanted to get good at poker and succeed like I did. Because I realized I would not be good at poker if I did not get help from the people who came before me who knew more than I did. And I don't know if I necessarily felt like I uh, committed to it and had to do it or I would lose face or something like that. I don't know why I was doing it necessarily. I don't know why I was losing 5000 a month back then. It probably doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense, does it? But I don't know. I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was fun. And so about nine or 10 years ago, I broke up with my fiance and I was at a casino drinking and betting on sports like a degenerate. It's not, not a good thing to be doing. <laughs> We've all been there. And I randomly ran into a guy. His name's Dan. And he liked my poker products. And he had just gotten out of some sort of marketing class and said, why don't you make me a video of you playing online for like eight hours and I'll see if I can sell it online and we'll split the money and 
we'll go from there. So I sat down, I played that day, small stakes games, small stakes, 180 person tournaments. I think I won like three or four of them, which was just insane. You're supposed to win one in 180. And I think I played like 50 and I ended up just winning all of them. So I ran hot and we got this video and then he did his magic and we made something like $10,000 in sales from that video that month. And then the next month he kept selling it and made something like six or 8,000 the next month, right? So here's this one video that we make that took eight hours of work or whatever for me just sitting down playing poker. And it was very successful. So Dan is in charge of my marketing and he has been since then. He's my longest relationship I've ever had. So um, that's kind of how things started to change and look for or look up because I was running a training site that was failing mm-hmm. by myself. And then I found someone who was good at something that I was not good at because I did literally no marketing. If you find Jonathan Little, maybe you'll sign up to the site. And then he started doing more marketing with affiliates and whatnot. We made an email list. I didn't know what an email list was besides, you know, you sign up for the site and you get an email giving you your information. And um, things started to take off then. So what does the revenue look like today compared to... Oh, but so the question is, how, how, how do we do now? I think we're on track to do something like 1.8 million in sales this year or something like that, give or take. Crazy. Maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. I'm always skeptical that it's just going to like die at some point. <laughs> I don't know why, but I mean, it just continues going up. I don't, I don't really get how it continues going up. But what it amounts to is if you help people, they will reward you. So you just have to make sure that you are adding substantial value. And I'm lucky to be in an industry where people are happy to spend money to make more money, right? And to be fair, if I charge at the most $100 a month for my highest tier membership, if you watch one video a day, you're paying like three bucks per video, which is yeah. very, very free <laughs> in terms of high-end education from many of the best players in the world. I'm not the only coach on there. I have a lot of other coaches. And goodness, I don't know how much we spend each month. It's like, I don't know, 70, 80K on content, employees, et cetera. So we have expenses. Don't get me wrong. We're just not pocketing all the money. But anything that you can learn from and make substantially more money, usually people are pretty happy to pay for that. And I mean, I prove it over and over again. I can take losing poker players and make them into people who can win a hundred bucks an hour playing live poker at their casino. I've done it many, many, many times. And that's what I do to people. I help them go from losing money at poker to winning money at poker. And it's worth a lot of money if you can help somebody win money. For example, if I pay you like $500 or something, and yet I win $10,000 at poker, that $500 is free to me. In fact, it was almost like, you know, you paid me. I mean, think about it, right? Like imagine you could pay, let's say you would sign up to my site, you'd study, I don't know, 20 hours a month, let's say 30 hours a month, an hour a day. And you say sign up for a year at the highest tier membership. It costs you twelve hundred bucks a year, assuming you don't catch it on sale or anything. So if you're paying the maximum, you're going to spend twelve hundred a year. But if over that year you learn how to make hundred dollars per hour, you have to play twelve hours and it gets paid back. And if you just start doing this forty hours a week, one hundred sixty hours a month, you're making sixteen thousand dollars a month, right? So you pay me twelve hundred for a year, and you can then make sixteen thousand. Now, obviously, everyone does not crush it, but the people who are really dedicated, the vast majority of them do. The genius here is that by starting a business where you're teaching, you're kind of checking off a lot of these boxes. Number one, you are doing something you love because generally you're not going to be able to teach something you're not very good at. And if you're very good at something, you took the time to learn it and you probably love it. And so that's kind of a great hack for figuring out what kind of business you can start that you're actually going to enjoy going to that won't feel like a you know drudge work or a terrible grind. Start teaching people something that you know. And also when you teach people, they're very grateful for it because you're actually helping them get better at something. And then in your particular niche, it's super lucrative because you're not just teaching somebody a skill that's completely valueless and you know they're just doing for fun. You're teaching somebody a skill that's going to help them make more money. And consistently, the most successful educators that I see are those 
you know, teaching people how to code, teaching people how to make a lot of money playing poker, teaching people, you know, the skills they need to get a promotion at their job or get a better job, et cetera. And so I think you've just created like the perfect alignment in all of these areas where you can do something that you love and charge a lot of money and and get paid. Well, to be fair, we don't even charge a lot of money. That's the that's the interesting thing is that like what the, the lowest tier on my site is like 10 bucks a month. Essentially, if you buy three years at a time, if you pay full price, so it's $40 a month. But and I also put out a ton of free content and I do that just to make people aware of me, right? Because if they become, if I become known to them, now they're now going to look at my content. And I have content for players of all skill levels, and you're going to start giving them wins, and they're going to go from perhaps a big losing player to a smaller losing player. And you know, if you normally play poker and you lose twenty bucks an hour, and now you're lo- losing only ten dollars an hour, it's actually a huge gain if you think about it. It's the same as you know making ten dollars essentially. And I, I put out a lot of content to try to help people get better at poker. And I know that I'm improving their, essentially their quality of life because you'd rather not lose whenever you're playing your games. And uh, people are happy to pay you back for that. And they realize it's, it's expensive to hire other poker coaches to make content. And I mean, I've devoted my whole life to this. I could be out there playing poker today and who knows where I would be. Maybe I'd be a better poker player. I don't even know. And that's okay. I'm willing to, I'm willing to give that up to help lots of other people. I mean, there's this idea of a talent stack or a skill stack where, you know, let's say you just get good at one skill. You're just a really fast sprinter. If you want to be one of the best in the world and make any money, you have so much competition. You got to be better than 99.999% of people. But if you can combine that with some other skill, you don't have to be as good at either one of them. You can combine the two of them and be like maybe top 10th percentile in the world and succeed. And when I look at what you've done, you're super good at poker. You're a pro. You've made millions playing poker. You're a great teacher. You're dedicated at producing content. And like, you're not afraid of tech. You're super comfortable building websites from scratch with you know, technologists. But a lot of people are afraid to hire someone. They, have, they think, I have no idea how to do any of this. You know, I'm not a developer myself, so I guess I can't make a website. And you've seen this with other poker players too. Like, I think Phil Ivey has a, a masterclass or something where he's like, worked in collaboration you know, with this company masterclass to put out a video. But I guarantee you, he hasn't made anywhere near as much money with that as you've made by actually combining all these skills uh, and putting them together. To be fair, um, he probably didn't work nearly as hard either. <laughs> he just showed up and showed up recorded for a while. I was very fortunate in that I kind of had a head start to a lot of people because I was already known in the space, right? There are a lot of poker players who try to make training sites. I'm presuming they don't make a whole lot of money because it just seems clear to me that they're not. And it's because they were not as well known as I was in the poker world. I'm very fortunate to have an immense amount of authority already just purely based on results, which is kind of different than a lot of things in the tech world unless you've already founded a successful company, right? So if you're a new founder, you're going to have a difficult time becoming known unless you are already an authority in some space. But I was already an authority in the poker space without even knowing what I was doing just because I was very, very good at poker. And also there were very few people doing what I was doing in the poker space. There have been a few poker training sites that have come and gone throughout the years. I might have the the one that's been around longest now that I think about it. (laughs) All the other ones have gone broke for whatever reason. And... It's going to sound bad, but most people are just not very good at teaching who also play poker because a lot of people in the poker space who do make content very often are not necessarily doing it to help as many people as they can. They're doing it to try to give themselves additional credibility or to sound smart or to try to sort of like appeal to very, very high level poker players. And if you're only trying to teach very, very high level poker players or trying to impress people by using terms they don't understand, then you're going to turn off the vast majority of actual poker players, the people who actually need a whole lot of help. Like if I try to teach a world-class player something, I mean, they could probably teach me. I still hire coaches because I know they're better than I am. And that's okay, right? 
but I am you know substantially better than every recreational poker player, and that allows me to provide lots of value to them. And there's a whole lot of recreational poker players, but not a whole lot of very, very, very high level poker players. So make make sure you're at least targeting some sort of a big market, unless you're going to charge like infinite money for your product. They, to be fair, there have been there was a book a long time ago in the poker world, and I think they sold it for like five thousand dollars for a three hundred page PDF by one of the best poker players online. And I don't know how many sold, but I'm sure he sold some. And you know, you write a book, sell it for five thousand bucks, and you sell thirty of them, and I guess you're happy. But uh, you know, we sell our books for normal prices, and you have to sell a whole bunch of them to make any money. But that's okay. Yeah, what is the most lucrative part of what you're doing? Because your YouTube channel is free. I guess you might be able to make money through ads. No, I purposely have no ads. I do not want ads. I do not want to have a bad viewing experience for the people watching. I'm a big fan of not advertising random stuff, toothpaste and deodorant or whatever, before you have to watch my content. You don't need to do that. I advertise by promoting my products. I'll say, check out my site, pokercoaching.com, or I will link back to an article that I that I wrote about a particular thing. I have a bunch of URLs stuck in my head. Like if you want to know about bankroll management, go to jonathanlittlepoker.com slash bankroll, right? I know I have these all in my brain, my brain index. And when it comes up, I'll throw it out. And that will somebody will go to that site. They'll check it out. They'll read it. It'll help them. And um, maybe I get their business. And so essentially, I, I am the product, right? And I want people to see me, not an ad for toothpaste. But yeah, so um, you don't make a ton of money on books, really. If you sell a physical book, you make roughly $3 as the author per book. Poker books, if they're really good, may sell like 10,000 copies in a year, give or take. I have the best-selling poker books, and I know I make a little bit more than that, but not, not a ton more. And um, back in the day, it was thought that this one book sold something like 100,000 copies. That was like the most successful poker book, and that was sort of in the poker heyday. So you're not really making a ton of money from the books, and I realize that. I'm more so making the books just to, again, try to get in front of people, right? Amazon is a big search engine, and I want Jonathan Little stuff to come up when people type in poker into Amazon. Because that's another way for people to find me. Same reason we have a podcast, right? That's free. And I do that. So if people are on iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or whatever, they type in poker and maybe they'll find me. And same reason I write articles for physical newspapers and physical magazines and all this stuff, right? Because if I want them to open up their newspaper and see an article about poker and they go, oh, that's cool. Let me read that. And they see it's by me and maybe they follow me. So a ton of the stuff I do does not actually make money. What, what, what makes the money is the membership site because that's the thing where you can charge $100 per month and you get to keep all of it right? There's no real expenses. Whereas like with a physical book, the thing costs 20 bucks to print, right? And um, with the website, I, I mean, I have employees and they get paid very nicely, but that, that's where most of the money comes from because it makes sense, right? It's a thing with relatively little overhead and um, and it's it's quick to, to iterate on and quick to put out new content. Like right here, we're making a video right now. It's going to take us the hour and a half for making it and then it's done. And I, I can do this all day, every day. Yeah, I think it's a super smart model as an educator because like you said, you're just being genuinely helpful. You're not doing this just to make yourself look good. You're doing this to actually figure out what people need help with. And if they see you in all these different channels, they're like, hey, I've seen Jonathan every time I search for poker, I really trust him. He's got good advice. Maybe I should you know, pay for his training because paying for any sort of membership website or education is you want to know that the person you're going to buy from is reputable, that they're going to be good. For sure. And I've actually done some things to try to make myself more reputable. And that's often done by collaborating with other people who are also thought to be very reputable. So I just finished up a book that I kind of like that book I wrote with 15 people. I wrote it with nine other people this time. They are many of the best online poker players in the world. And they're thought to be some of the best poker players in the world. And collaborating with people and showing that these people work with me and I work with them even if people perhaps don't respect my poker game for whatever reason, probably because I'm, you know, my age, I'm not, not a young kid anymore and I'm not grinding online poker all day every day. Some people may think perhaps he's not 
the best poker player anymore. But they see you collaborating with people who are the best, which means I am hanging out with these people, talking poker with these people. That gives credibility to what I'm doing. And with my poker training side, I've hired people who have equally good or better results than me purposefully, because if I am not a big enough draw to get people to the site, maybe these other people are. That's also super smart. And, you know, all these other people have probably spent a lot of time building up their own audiences. And now you kind of have access to their audiences. If somebody wants to read one of their books and they find, you know, a chapter from you in there, then suddenly you're reaching a lot of people you wouldn't have reached otherwise. For sure. And I mean, it's kind of like when you, when you have a startup, if you have a board, if you have a board of five really well-known people, that's going to give you way more credibility than if you have five random people, even if they're not actually even doing a ton, right? I mean, to be fair, I'm sure the boards do a lot in a lot of cases, but just being associated with those people make you look competent. So how did you learn to do all this stuff? I think it's fascinating that you, you know, you've kind of grinded it out with poker. You did what it took to become a professional poker player. And then you've kind of grinded it out with online business and you figured out how to maximize, you know, your usage of all these different distribution channels and become like a really respected, you know, educator. You know, what, what would you say are some of the similarities and differences in those processes that, you know, somebody who hasn't done anything like either of those would would benefit from knowing? So I do a whole lot of studying as I go to some extent. If I need, if I, I don't know a whole lot, but whatever I need to know, I make a point to sit down and learn it. So there's a book by Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek, that got me into the idea of maybe I should try to be more serious about my own business. I mean, it's worth mentioning that a lot of people who are poker players, their goal is to become sponsored by a poker site where you play poker. And the problem with that is that these sites don't really operate within America. And the ones that do are usually unlicensed, unregulated, and they could go bankrupt at any point in time. So I don't really want to represent them. So I understood a long time ago that no one is going to give me a deal because I'm an American poker player. And that means I have, if I want to make money from poker besides from actually going to the tournaments and grinding it out and playing, well, I need to figure out a way to do that, right? So I already had the training site for fun, right? And I decided to ramp it up a little bit. So I like the four-hour work week. There's a podcast called the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn. I've listened to all of those. Those are very good. And um, those, those were the two main things. I mean, I made my website, jonathanlowpoker.com myself because I just wanted to see if I could do it. You know, Pat Flynn sort of inspired me to do that. And I had a blog there that I would post a written blog. I did it every every week for about five years. I sort of let that go in exchange for really focusing on YouTube. Now we put out three or four YouTube videos a week, which is easier, more fun, et cetera. And um, I don't know. So it's, I, I try to find people who I can model myself after who are crushing it. And I try to learn everything I can from them. I listen to a ton of podcasts, even today. I mean, basically all the time when I'm not working. I used to get to listen to more because I'd be traveling to play poker tournaments and I would listen all the time and you can grind through a bunch of them. And uh, you listen and you try to learn. I mean, today I listened to a podcast this week in startups with Jason Calacanis. I like his podcast a lot. Some people hate him. Some people love him. I love him. He's a polarizing figure. He is a polarizing figure. Actually, he told me to read this book, The Lean Startup. Here it is right here. Yeah, by Eric Reese. I was going on a trip. I sent him a message. Hey, what book do I need to get? He said, read this book, The Lean Startup. He has a book called Angel. You should get his book Angel if you want to invest in companies. Yeah. As he's fond of saying, he's the world's leading angel investor. Yeah. I worry he may be kind of like Phil Helmuth and that he just thinks he is. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure. Um, there's a poker player, Phil Helmuth, who has the most world series of poker bracelets, kind of like Jason has some of the most unicorn angel investments or whatnot. And uh, you don't know if they're actually good or just lucky, but um, I played with Phil Helmuth and he does some absurd things. Then they always seem to work out. So uh, maybe he actually is a genius. To be fair, I love Phil. I've worked with Phil. I've helped publish his biography and he collaborated with me a few times. And, and I like Jason too. They're fun. But I, I learn as I go, right? So 
I, I definitely do not know how to do a lot of things. And the things I don't know how to do, I've become very comfortable with outsourcing or hiring someone to do it who knows better than I do. Let's say like you've dove deep into this tech world. The fact that you're listening to these tech podcasts, you're reading these tech books, you're not kind of just sitting on the outskirts, you're learning from other people. But I think also what you're doing, you don't have that many role models to sort of follow in their footsteps. There aren't that many other big poker coaching websites and, and people who are really succeeding the way that you are. So who do you look up to? You know, who do you who are you inspired by and, and what sort of playbook are you following? And also like what's the end goal of all of this? You know, what is pokercoaching.com at its highest potential? What does that look like? These are things I don't really think a whole lot about. I just sit down and do the work. I am definitely not good at chilling and relaxing and thinking about necessarily what is the end goal because at the moment I have no desire to quit. Right. Like a lot of people in the tech world want to build something and then sell it and then do something else. I don't really want to sell my company. I do not want investors in my company unless I like absolutely love them. I have zero investors currently. I own 100% of the business. And like I'm, I'm not trying to quit. I think a lot of people who think in that way kind of want to get out and retire. I don't really want to retire. I'm happy with doing what I'm doing. That said, I mean, the goal is to continue growing. I know some numbers from the biggest training site in the past that are that is now defunct. We have roughly um, I don't know, 20-25% as many people as they had at the peak of the poker boom. We're charging more money than they did. They were charging 20 bucks a month. We're charging 100 sometimes. So we're charging more money. So maybe we're making as much money. I'm not sure. But the goal would to be at least as big as they were and perhaps bigger. I mean, in the ideal world, everyone who plays poker is aware of me, right? And that's just not the case. There are only three or four like household names in the poker world among people who know poker. I mean, I'll still go and I'll, I'll sit down at a random $1,000 buy-in tournament and only half the players will know me, which, I mean, I guess is it just shows that there's still room to grow, right? And, and those are people who are buying in for a thousand bucks. These are not people playing at the kitchen table with their friends. And the people who got famous, at least like household name famous from poker, like Phil Helmuth or Dale Negreanu or Doyle Brunson, they did very well around 2003 to 2010. And they got a bunch of coverage on ESPN. And I did not have the benefit of that. So I have to try to figure out a way to replicate that in some different manner. But in the ideal world, I will be big names like those that will allow me to reach the entire poker market. And um, well, then then we'll clean up. Yeah, I think when I talk to indie hackers who are building profitable businesses, there's much less of a desire to sell out. There's much less of a desire to take on investors and eventually get bought. And there's more of a desire to build a business that sort of is cohesive with their lifestyle where they get to do what they like doing and just grow their revenue and just be happy kind of doing exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I realize I have a solid lifestyle business, right? I'm never going to make $100 million in revenue from the come from this business just because the market is definitely not that big, right? I recognize that. And that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. So I, I think I am fully aware of the situation I am in. And I realize that poker is still very popular. I mean, for all I know, in five or 10 years, the game could be dead. And then, then the business is dead. We have to figure out something else. I mean, that's one of the reasons I started looking into angel investing because... I think I have a good temperament for it because it's kind of like playing poker tournaments where you just fire a lot of bullets and in good situations and hope they work out. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Try to be helpful as best you can, giving advice whenever the founders need it. And um, it's something that I could realistically do, right? You want you always want to have, or at least you want to consider things that you can do after what you're doing in case it just dies or fails or whatever. Some people don't like having a backup plan. I'd rather have a backup plan than not especially if it has the opportunity to somewhat passively-ish make money. Like now, I invest with Jason Calacanis a ton. And so you find people who are crushing it, learn from them, 
And, you know, with any, with any luck, you'll figure out how to replicate it if, if you need to. Yeah, I think a buddy of mine, I play in a cash game with him regularly, almost every night since the COVID-19 quarantines started. But he's got a cool business. I got to get him on the podcast. But one of his investors is Jason Calacanis. And I think you're also invested. It's underground seller. He does sort of wine delivery. But his story is fascinating right now because the lockdowns have sort of blown up his business. He's getting a ton more sales just because everybody wants to get wine and you really can't go out and drink anymore. How is it going with poker? Have you seen more people signing up to play poker, to learn how to play poker since quarantine started or has it been relatively unaffected? It's up a little bit. I did not know how it would go because I did not know if poker was just kind of going to die. I didn't know if everyone's going to move to online poker. That was sort of the big question. So if people just stopped playing poker altogether, the business would have done poorly. But fortunately, most people have just moved their play to online poker. The online poker sites are currently booming like never before. I mean, the games are so soft right now. I, I used to not play online whenever I was at home because whenever I'm home, it's my work on business time and hang out with my family time. I have a wife and a one-year-old and a three-year-old son. And that's what I want to do when I am at home, not sit down and play poker. But eventually I got convinced by one of my coaches on my side. like, look, you just have to play on Sundays. Sundays are the big online poker day where basically everyone plays. So I've been playing Sundays and it's been going well enough. So sometimes the games are just too good. And right now the games are too good. Let's talk about some of the specific tactics for the different parts of your business, and then I'll let you get out of here. A lot of people are trying to start a business in just one of the many areas that you have your business running in, email or YouTube or uh, courses. So let's talk about YouTube first. What is the biggest thing you've learned about growing a YouTube channel that's successful? I don't know. <laughs> show up and make content. I mean, I think really a lot of, the answer to a lot of these things is show up do good work and figure out ways to get in front of people. I mean, some of my content does great. Some of it does not do so well. I mean, it's not what I would like, but it turns out discussing current events that are very popular at this point in time seem to get a lot more traction than perhaps just discussing straight strategy. I would prefer to just straight discuss straight strategy because I don't care about gossip or drama. But um, I don't know, six, six months ago or so, someone folded four of a kind and they posted about it on the internet and it was probably a good fold. And I made a video about it and that got tons of views. But like in reality, for every time you got four of a kind, you just folded it, it would cost you almost no money because you actually never get four of a kind, right? So this is an instance, this, an instance that essentially never occurs. You may perhaps should fold four of a kind one time in your entire life, maybe one time in 10 lives. And even if you make the call and you lose, it just doesn't matter. There was a straight flush available for those who don't know the poker rules. There, there was like one hand that would beat you. Usually when you lose to exactly one hand, you should not fold. But the way this hand played out, you went like bet, raise, re-raise, 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 all in on the river. It's like, okay, guys, it's a straight flush, right? And so anyway, that video is incredibly, incredibly popular, but... Like in my mind as an educator, it added no value because yeah, you just don't get four of a kind. Who cares? Don't fold your four of a kind and you'll be fine. Or like it just doesn't matter, right? It's a spot that just doesn't matter yet the general public likes it. There was a cheating scandal a while back where I'm not going to go into it. Anyway, it was a little bit too intricate to discuss here. Yeah, there's a guy, Mike Postle, who was somehow cheating and I had the lawyer who was the lawyer for the plaintiffs who are trying to get their money back. I interviewed him two, two or three times, and um, he's my lawyer as well, so it's convenient. And those were very popular as well, but it's all drama to some extent, right? And I don't really care about drama, but there are a few very popular poker YouTube channels that are very heavily current events based, and uh, they do well. So that's something I should probably do more, but I just don't want to, so I don't really. <laughs> I'm always on the lookout for things. Like folding four of a kind, I guess I can I can take that from a uh, educational spin, like, hey, it doesn't really matter. So anyway, you want to do things that people are talking about, that people care about. If anything, try to piggyback off of other things that are popular. I mean, it's going to sound bad. There's this uh, poker 
YouTube personality. I guess he's kind of out of it now, but one of his marketing tactics was to find people who were successful and then try to drag them down, try to berate them, try to belittle them. And people would latch onto that because maybe they don't like that person, right? As well. So you find someone bashing someone you also don't like, maybe you become popular. No one's going to like you who's actually in the know, but you know, random haters will. And maybe that's a way to build an audience. I would never do that, but there, there are all sorts of marketing tactics, but in general, find the content people want to consume and then give it to them with your unique spin. So YouTube, consistency, and given the YouTube audience, a little bit of drama and current events. What about a podcast? What's helped you, what's helped you grow your podcast? So the podcast has gone through many iterations. For the long time, it was just a show called Weekly Poker Hand, where every week I would sit down and I'd talk about a poker hand until I was done talking about it, usually 10 or 15 minutes. And that was fine and good. Usually I'll record like, I'll just sit down and record 10 of them in a day or 15 of them in a day and be done for two months or three months. And um, I would not say that's immensely popular, but now that's also YouTube content. And when I'm making it, I'm mindful that this is going to go into audio as well. So I'll like read out the cards on the board and the cards in my hand. I don't assume that the person listening can hear it, right? Like, like this, this could easily be on YouTube. This could easily be on iTunes, right? It can be on both, right? So now most of the stuff that goes to the podcast is just YouTube content that also makes sense for audio. And I don't even know how that does. I don't even check it. <laughs> it does get some download. I'm not like highly focusing on that. Really, again, the goal is just to like be in that search engine on iTunes search engine or other podcast search engines. And I'm not like going hard on that, but it's fine enough. YouTube is really where we've been going hard in terms of actually making good dedicated content for that platform. Because that's where a lot of people are. Turns out that, that that's where I have the most followers. And YouTube is huge. Yeah, I mean, I, it's massive. It, it really is. <laughs> so you might as well go where all the people are. Even if you Google for you know advice on a particular poker hand, the chances that you're gonna get a YouTube video in the search results are pretty high. And the chances that it's gonna be one of your videos is also pretty high. For my poker training sites, every two weeks I have a group of students who they'll get on, they'll ask me questions. But before that, I'll present 30 minutes on a topic. They request the topics, a topic that has never been requested before. And I record all these videos and I have classes on the site. And we have, I don't know, 100 or 200 of these things where all the common questions about poker, I've sat down and I've discussed it with, you know, good thinking poker players for like 30 minutes. So we have the answer to every reasonable poker question you're going to ask on the site. Like it's almost like an encyclopedia where what do I do in this scenario? Or how do I play this hand? Or how do I manage my bankroll or whatever? Like anything you want answered, I have that at my site purposely, right? So that you don't really need to go anywhere else to try to find information. Yeah, so YouTube's big. Last one of these. What's the biggest thing you've learned about building sort of your own website where you're teaching people and, and selling courses and, and selling memberships? Show up and do the work again. I know it's the same answer, but you really do have to show up and do the work. A lot of people want to work some and then just forget about it and be done. They want to make a course which is fine and good. There are people out there who have made six hours of content and they call it a course and they sell it for $1,500. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to make whatever you want. It can be high level, low level, any price. But I think you're going to, well, that's almost like a side hobby, right? Where you're going to sit down, you're going to make this thing, you're going to sell it. The poker players who do this, they put a substantial amount of money behind marketing. I see them advertising all the time. So I know they're spending money or at least maybe I'm exactly the person they would try to advertise to high level poker players. I'm not sure. But that's the way a lot of people do a lot of things. They sit down, they make this project, they finish the project and they're done. Like there's courses on poker that you know cost $1,500 or $2,000 online. They were made three or four years ago. They're kind of out of date. And I'm sure some people are still buying it because of their marketing efforts, but it's not even like high level cutting edge material, which, you know, again, it's fine. You can sell whatever you want. I have no problem with that. It's still good content. And if they put substantially more effort into it, I think they would have a substantially better product. But at the same time, that's probably not what they want to be doing. They want to be playing poker. They like playing poker. They just want to do something on the side to bring in some side income and now they're done. But um, the way I do it is definitely a full-time job, more than a full-time job. And uh, it's, it's hard work, but I don't mind the work. I like the work. 
Try to like the work. That's the answer. If you like the work, you can do it indefinitely. It's pretty obvious that you like what you're doing. It's pretty obvious from watching your videos and listening to your uh, lessons on your website that you like what you're doing. And it's it's made me a lot of money. <laughs> it's made, I'm sure, a lot of other people a lot of money. Good. <laughs> yeah, go take all of Jeff's money <laughs> yeah, and vote again. I have been. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Most of the people listening to this are sort of fledgling or aspiring indie hackers. You know, they don't necessarily have an idea they want to work on. Or if they have, they've just gotten started and they haven't really put in the work and grinded it out. You know, what would you, what would you leave them with? What's a word of advice? to help them get started and build up some confidence? I mean, if you don't know what you want to do yet, try a lot of things, right? Like in terms of games, like if I wanted to play games, I should try a lot of games. And we're not considering money at this point, but like imagine, like poker would not be the game that I would play because I've tried a lot of games. There are a lot of games that are in my mind better than poker, but they're not played for money. They're not as popular for whatever reason. Maybe I like the game a lot, but other people don't and that's okay. So you want to ask really like, what are you really trying to accomplish here? Like if your goal is to make money, then you must get in a big market to some extent, right? Or at least you have to be able to design something that adds immense value that is irreplaceable for corporations and because they, they're the ones who can pay a ton of money for things. So you want to figure out what you're actually trying to accomplish. I think a lot of people just kind of piddle around and they inevitably don't actually focus on figuring out what they want out of life and what they want out of business and what they want out of well, everything they, they are spending their time on. And also just don't waste time. A lot of people waste their time by watching nonsense on TV or by playing games or perhaps just even like studying a lot, learning a lot, right? Like I listen to a ton of podcasts. I'm sure I could have been doing other things during those periods of time that would maybe even be more useful. I'm not sure. Those things have certainly helped me, but maybe I should have been reading more books or maybe I should have been actively talking to people more. I'm not sure. But try to use your time wisely. A lot of people squander a lot of their time and spend your time actively working towards whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. But sit down and figure out what you're actually trying to accomplish. It's tough to know like exactly who I'm even talking to here, though, because if you have literally nothing going on right now and you want to have a company that's doing, I don't know, $100 million in revenue, like I don't know where to tell you, well, where to, tell you to start. I have no other ideas besides exactly a poker training site. <laughs> if my poker training site died today, I would be in a mess. So uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. And if you have any good ideas, let me know. All right, be deliberate about your goals and then be deliberate about how you spend your time trying to reach those goals. That's right. Do it. Do the work. Jonathan Little, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Can you let listeners know where they can go to find you online, find what you're selling and find, you know, your advice? My training site is pokercoaching.com. If you're new to poker, go to pokercoaching.com slash fundamentals. There we have a fundamentals course. You can get the first few parts completely for free. You can sign up to the site and get access to a trial of the site completely for free. I have a Twitter at Jonathan Little, just my name. YouTube is youtube.com slash pokercoaching. Yeah, those are the main channels. All right, Jonathan. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode and you want an easy way to support the podcast, you should leave a review for us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Probably the fastest way to get there if you're on a Mac is to visit ndhackers.com slash reviews. I really appreciate your support and I read pretty much all the reviews you leave over there. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I will see you next time.